You're listening to the Word of Hope, sermons preached at Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. Today's sermon is preached by Pastor Brian Wolfmuller. In the name of Jesus, amen. Dear saints, whoever is of God hears the words of God. In, in last week's epistle lesson from Galatians 4, Paul gives this extended allegory about uh, two things, two sons, two cities, two mountains, two covenants. And all of that is, is pointing to the two teachings of the Scripture, the law and the gospel. There was Ishmael, who is the son of the slave woman, and there was Isaac, the son of the free woman. And one is the slavery and bondage of the law. The other is the freedom of the gospel. Ishmael, remember, was conceived through works, the plotting of Abraham and Sarah to have a child. Isaac, on the other hand, was born without their works or their strength, like we heard in this morning's Old Testament lesson, that Abraham and Isaac were childless into their 90s and could do nothing on their own to have a child. But Isaac was born simply through God's promise. Now, Paul, as he outlines these two doctrines and these two teachings and these two sons, is warning the Christians in Galatia not to turn away from the gospel. They had been tempted by the false teachers, the Judaizers, to think that God's grace was not enough to save them. That they needed to add, uh, that they needed to add something to their salvation, to add their own works and obedience according to the law that they might be saved. They knew that they started out by being saved by grace through faith, but they thought that they would stay saved by adding their own works, and this is simply not the case. Now Paul tells us that we are like Isaac, children of the of the promise, born uh, from above without any strength or works of our own, but simply by the word of God which gives birth to us. And Paul then makes this point, which is where we're headed with all of this. Paul says, But just as at the time that he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so it also is now. Ishmael persecuted Isaac. The son of works persecuted the son of promise. And this, dear saints, is the strange pattern of all of history. From the time that Adam and Eve were expelled from the Garden of Eden until Jesus returns in glory, history is nothing more than a long string of persecutions. And the persecution is this, that those who know the gospel are being persecuted by those who do not. Martin Luther, and the first time I read this, I I just read it over and over, I couldn't barely get my head around it. It's such a a mystery. Uh, Martin Luther traces this back to the very beginning, back to the first persecution, which you remember was the murder of Abel by his brother Cain. Remember how that story went? Cain was the farmer. Abel was the shepherd. Both bring their offerings to God. Cain brings the fruit of his produce, his own works, the fruit of the field, and he offers it as a sacrifice. But he does it without God's word and without faith. And then Abel brings the animal and the animal's blood according to the word of God and faith. And God accepts the offering of Abel, the younger brother, and God accepts Abel himself. But God rejects the offering of Cain, his works, his own efforts, you see. And Cain's reaction? 
He, he brought an offering to God that didn't have blood, but now he, he takes up a, blood, a stone and spills the blood of his brother. Now, Luther is talking about this, and he notes that the motivation behind the murder is this. Cain did not understand the doctrine of justification. He did not understand that God was pleased with us, not because of our own works, but rather because of the spilt blood of another. Cain didn't know the gospel, while Abel did. And the one who doesn't know the gospel persecutes the one who does and attacks him and murders him so that the blood of Abel is crying out for vengeance. Now, this pattern runs through the entire history of Scripture. The people in the days of Noah, the men of Sodom and Gomorrah attacking Lot, the Egyptians attacking the Israelite babies, the Philistines and all the people given over to false gods, Baal and Molech and Ashtoreth and all of the others attacking the prophets and the people of God. And then into the New Testament, it's the Pharisees who attack Jesus and his teaching and preaching. The Judaizers who attack Paul and his preaching. The Gnostics who attack John and his preaching. And through church history, in the Reformation, it was the papal church that attacked the gospel, the Lutherans. And I suppose that today the gospel is attacked from every side, both from outside of the church and also from inside of the church. Outside the church, there's these two major forces uh, that seem to be attacking the church constantly, both secularism on one side and Islam on the other. And then inside the church, there's false teaching every way, everywhere you look. But the liberal uh, theologians who teach that the Bible is not true, the Roman Catholic Church, which continues to mix in works with salvation, to the other Protestant churches who take the forgiveness of sins out of baptism and the Lord's Supper and even the preaching of the gospel, the gospel is being fought against from every side. Now, this persecution for us is not as intense as it might be. Certainly no one is taking a stone to our heads like Cain did to Abel, and for that we thank the Lord. But this persecution, this pattern as we think about it, seems, at least to me, very strange. Why is it that those who do not have the gospel are always compelled to persecute those that do? This is a kind of a baffling question, I think, for me. I've I've spent years thinking about it, and I continue to think about it. But Jesus is going to hint at an answer in our gospel lesson. Now, John 8 is an extended argument between Jesus and the Pharisees, and they are, they are really getting into it. I don't know if you've ever had this experiment or this experience of there's two people that are fighting, and, and they're really fighting. They're yelling at each other. They're just at each other. And you don't know it, and you walk into the room, and you kind of come into the middle of the argument. And you say, hey, guys, how's it going? And then you, and they stare at you both, you know. And you realize something is really going... Well, that's kind of how we are in this gospel lesson. I mean, Jesus and the Pharisees are getting after each other, and it's escalating. Jesus says... Uh, uh, the, the, the Pharisees say, we're of Abra- we're, our father's Abraham. And Jesus says, if your father was Abraham, you'd do what Abraham does. And then the Pharisees say to Jesus, well, we, we don't know who your father is. <laughs> and then Jesus says, well, you're of your father, the devil. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's like this. And Jesus is arguing with them. 
Now, we notice that while the fight is going on, Jesus is also talking to the Christians who are listening, and that's why he'll break off and give these beautiful verses of comfort all the way through chapter 8, like this that we had in our reading. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Now, that's for us, not for the Pharisees. But to the Pharisees who are sitting there opposing Jesus, he says these words, Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. So Jesus says that the reason why you are standing there fighting against me, opposing me, is because you do not hear God's word. Hearing God's word and believing it is what makes us Christians, the children of God. And it's not hearing God's word that sets us at odds with those who trust the gospel. Now, we know that God's word is, in fact, two words. He speaks to us the law that tells us what to do and shows us that we are sinners. And he speaks to us the gospel, which forgives sins and justifies us in the sight of God. Now, these words, God's law and God's gospel, are our life and our hope and our peace and our salvation. We treasure God's word. It's what it means to be a Christian. We delight in God's word. We adjust our clocks so we won't be late to hear the preaching of God's word. And the instruction of God's word and the rebuke of God's word and the comfort that we have in God's word is our joy in life and our confidence in death. We cling to God's word, especially the gospel, because we know that one day we will have to stand face to face with God. And on that day and at that moment, we will claim not our own righteousness, but the righteousness of Jesus, the forgiveness of sins. His grace and His mercy. And we will stand on that day and we will pass from death into life. But how is it for those who do not hear or believe God's word? I think it could be different for different people. But for most who do not believe God's word, who are not Christians, who do not have the righteousness of Christ, they are working constantly to establish their own righteousness. The devil's behind it, and this is what he's doing. He's working to convince the unbeliever that they are righteous in their own eyes. So they are part of the religion of self-justification. And the creed of this religion is very simple. It is this. I believe that I am a good person. That is the creed of Cain, who brought his own wheat and his own works before God. That's the creed of Ishmael. That's the creed of Pharaoh. It's the creed of the Pharisees, the creed of the Judaizers, and even the creed of the Gnostics. In one way or another, they're asserting their own self-righteousness or their own self-worth. <coughs> Excuse me. They're exalting themselves or they're exalting their works or they're doing both so that they might be their own savior. Now, it seems like it's harmless enough that our neighbors and our friends would be part of the church of self-justification, that they would have the creed, I believe that I am a good person. But the way it actually works itself out is in violence and hatred for those who have the gospel. Now, try to track with me here. This is, I think, a little bit tricky. But but the result is this. If I'm going to claim my own righteousness rather than the righteousness of God, 
then I have to replace the gospel with my own invented good works. I have to substitute, in place of God's justifying me, I have to substitute my own self-justification so that I have to replace the voice of God that forgives my sins with my own voice that excuses my sins. The result is that I'm not hearing God's word of gospel, but I'm hearing my own voice of self-justification. And the, and the result of this is that Jesus is replaced with another God, a God of my own making, and his voice is being replaced with another voice. And to get to this point, to silence the voice of the gospel, you have to first silence the voice of the law. You see, the preaching of Moses shows us our sin, our death, our failure, The law comes to us and it crushes, it absolutely demolishes the illusion of our own righteousness. The law says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The law condemns as its first act all pride, all trust in ourselves. In fact, the law stands in precise opposition to the idea that I am a good person and says no one is good. No, not one. So that the law puts to death our prideful, sinful flesh. And our flesh hates it. It can't endure that word of God. It refuses. It rises up against it. It plugs its ears. It will not listen to the condemnation of the law. So that it cannot believe, the, so that it can continue to believe the false verdict of its own righteousness and self-justification. I don't know if that makes sense, but let's try it like this. When Jesus stands there and says to the Pharisees, I've come for sinners, we Christians rejoice. When Jesus says that he comes for sinners, that means that he's come for me. It means that we've got a chance at eternal life. It means that sins can be forgiven. But the Pharisee stands there and hears that same preaching of Jesus that I came for sinners and says, what do you mean he came for sinners? I'm no sinner. I don't need this Jesus. I've got it worked out myself. I've been good enough, tried hard enough. I don't need his help. And the more Jesus teaches the word of God, the law and the gospel, the more the self-righteousness of the Pharisees is threatened and the more they hate him. They thought Moses was on their side. But now Moses is standing there condemning them through the law. They thought Abraham was on their side. But now the faith of Abraham is making a mockery of their own trust in their, own, in their good works. And they can't stand it. So the flesh and the world and the devil would do anything rather than to let go of its own goodness, of its own works, of its own pride, even murder. So Cain will take up a rock to put in his own brother's head before he will admit that his works are not good enough for God. And the Judaizers, in every place where Paul traveled, will take up stones and try to put Paul to death before they will let go of the idea of their own righteousness. And the Pharisees will take Jesus and hand him over to Pilate and to the cross before they will let go of their self-justification. They refuse to hear God's word. The preaching of the law 
which shows their sin, and the preaching of the gospel, which gives them another savior beside themselves. And they would rather murder than listen to God. Whoever, Jesus says, whoever is of God hears the word of God. The reason that you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Now, dear saints, you and I have this same violently unbelieving flesh inside of us. It's, it's always there. And it's excusing your sin instead of confessing it, trying to silence the hearing of God's law. And it's clinging to your good works and claiming a righteousness of your own and refusing to hear the gospel. But your flesh is lying to you. And it's lying to me. You are a sinner. You know it. You hear the words of Moses and you stand accused. And you are a Christian. You hear the words of Jesus and you stand acquitted. Dear saints, you are justified. Not by yourself. Not by your own words. Not by your own deeds. Not by your own efforts. God forbid. You are justified by the word of God and by the blood of Jesus. And in the end, this gives us joy. We rejoice because the violence of the unbelieving world and the devil that fights against God's law and gospel is, in the end, the violence that puts Jesus on the cross where he wins for us God's favor, his mercy and his kindness. And although it is true that those who do not know the gospel will always persecute those who do, we take heart because Jesus has fought for us and he's won. Jesus has you. Jesus loves you. Your life is his. And God be praised, his life is yours. In the name of Jesus, amen. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Word of Hope. We hope your time with us was one of joy and peace in hearing the Lord's Word and kindness. If you have questions about anything you heard on today's broadcast, please don't hesitate to contact us at office at hope-aurora.org or call the office at 303-364-7416. For more information about our congregation, for locations, service time, and schedule, please visit our website at www.hope-aurora.org. Thank you for listening to the Word of Hope.